How's it going, everybody? This is Chris. Welcome to episode 67 of X-Lamps, where we're going to be discussing a book that we probably should have discussed on the last episode here. Uh, We probably should have done this one before we discussed X-Men number 8. I suppose we could pretend I did. Uh, But in fairness to me, I'm just following the reading order that Marvel put in the books. So, apologies. These Both of the books came out the same day. So... I guess uh, if you bought them both, you have a 50-50 chance of reading them in the right order. If you follow the Marvel way, you're reading them in the reverse order. So, just like we are here. Uh, the book we're going to be discussing today is New Mutants, Volume 4, Number 9. It's had a May 2020 cover date. The story's called Something Rotten In... Dot, 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 written by Ed Brisson with art by Flaviano. Or Flaviano. Colors by Carlos Lopez, led is VCs Travis Lanham, designs Tom Muller, head of X is Hickman, edits Bisa White Sapolsky, cover price $3.99, and went on sale the same day as X-Men number 8, that was uh, March 11th, 2020. Now our story opens in Carnelia, which, uh, isn't that the town you start in back in the, the first Final Fantasy? Nah, nah, it's, uh, it's actually just another Russian-ish safe target for the Dawn of X books, um... It's still, uh, it's still kind of funny how, like, the Russians are once again safe targets. I don't know. So we see this, uh, it's a snowy field. We see a large sewer pipe sticking out, and in it sits a very strange and bulbous character indeed. It's mostly in the shadows, but we can tell that it's uh, probably humanoid in shape. From here, we get an info page all about Carnelia. We get a picture of a map. It shows that this place is located by, like, the southwestern tip of the Ukraine. And amid a whole lot of information about the country that we couldn't possibly care about, we do actually get something. And stop me if you've heard this one before. The the nation of Carnelia does not recognize Krakoa as a sovereign nation. Is this idea getting a little played out to anyone else? I, I know I'm... It feels like we're getting this a little little too often here. Um, what are you going to do? Uh, from here, we get our double-page spread of creds, then our roll call. And uh, the folks we're going to be paying attention to this time are Boom Boom, Chamber, Magma, Mirage, Karma, Magic, Cyclops, Cypher, Mondo, and Armor. Back to comics, and the New Mutants A-Team are back at home at the Sextant. Of course, they were in Shi'ar space. There, Boom Boom's annoyed that all of her friends went into space without her. She's assured that they tried to wake her before they left, but she wouldn't budge, probably because she was passed out sloppy drunk. Now, she's also ticked off that they would take Chamber and Mondo with them instead of her. She goes as far as to say that those two aren't even part of the team. To which Karma says, they are now. Which, to me... Kind of squashes the idea that we might get a Generation X arc sometime sometime down the line, huh? If uh, we're all the amalgamated uh, young mutant group here. Uh, Magma enters to greet her friends and walks right past Chamber, much to his chagrin. Now, it would, it would appear that old Jono's got the hot pants for Amara uh, here. Danny suggests that he'll have plenty of time to make an impression on her later. I mean, where are they going, right? Elsewhere, Magic and Cyclops are having a Captain-to-Commander chat. Now, despite the fact that Magic has spent the past several weeks, assumedly, in uh, Shi'ar space, with his blessing, he still holds her somewhat responsible for the incident that occurred at the farm in Pilgrim, Nebraska. She justifies the actions of the Amalgamated Young Mutants of Krakoa LLC, claiming that, if not for their intervening, it probably would have ended far worse. Cyclops, eh, he pretty much plays the bad boss here. 
you know, he acts like he's, he still acts like he's disappointed. You know, it's kind of the, uh, you know, if, I, I think we've all worked for people like that, where no matter what you do, it, it could always be a little bit better, right? The, the, the folks that won't ever give you a 10 out of 10 on your, uh, on your annual review. I think we all, we all know people just like that. Anyway, magic more or less blows them off. Says we did what we did, or they did what they did. And, uh, you know, if you don't like it, stick it. From here, we jump back to Carnelia, and some soldiers head into the sewer pipe. And inside, they find a very strange sight. Uh, reality is warped, and there's a creature within this, like, weird field of other reality uh, begging them for help. We jump back to Krakoa, where as luck would have it, hey, the kids are just about to head to Carnelia. Uh, I'm guessing Cerebro picked up on our new reality warper, and uh, since the country doesn't recognize mutantum, it's up to this team to perform a little rescue mission. So they hop in the Pack Rat 2, which they, uh, you know, quote-unquote, borrowed from Old Man Cable. He probably won't be missing it since he's dead. And then they head uh, whichever direction might be most expedient to get from Krakoa to Carnelia. It's worth noting that since Carnelia doesn't recognize Krakoa, they don't have any gateways on their land. So that's why we're taking the pack rat. Now, while they head off, we pop back to the sextant, Alpha House to be specific. There, Armor and Cypher are trying to do something with Krakoa. Uh, it's like they're trying to connect a computer system or something to tap in to something. It's not very clearly explained, and I don't think it's supposed to be at this point. Amando, he's also lingering around there, and so Doug asks if, you know, maybe he'll let him use his body one more time to connect to the island. Maybe help get a jump start to whatever they're trying to do. Mondo reminds Doug that, you know, the last time we did that, Mondo said he'd give a, he'd, he'd punch Doug in the face if you ever tried that again, if you remember. Doug suggests that Mondo could punch him twice if this works. Mondo agrees, and bada-bing, bada-boom, Doug is able to make a connection, after which Mondo throws up. Next, an info page. It's a Carnelian missing poster with a young girl named Natasha Tashi Rapina on it. And uh, most notably, she has braces, which suddenly makes the cover of the next issue of New Mutants make a whole lot of sense, if you're familiar with that image, and you will be soon. Anywho, she's missing, and her parents were found dead, so it stands to reason that the Carnelians might want to track this one down. Speaking of Carnelia, how about we head back there? Now, the soldiers, they're at the same location. I think it's the same location. Uh, there's a building there. I don't know if we're just looking at it from a different angle. We do see some reality warping in the distance here, like a big like black bubble, sort of just there. Then, the pack rat, the new mutants arrive. Now, the soldiers don't have time for mutants, of course. Remember, they don't acknowledge their existence in the first place. Uh, Danny laments the fact that they didn't bring Doug with them, considering, you know, the language barrier they're about to face. Then, Boom Boom busts out with some first-year Russian. And it's kind of weird. Uh, Tabitha's first, like, word balloon is, like, really highly broken <laughs> dialogue here. It's, like, just, like, little words, you know, trying to make a point. Then her second one is, like, nearly fluent. I, I get the feeling this was supposed to be funny. I didn't think it was. Uh, I don't know if uh, Tabitha's worldliness is a remnant from Next Wave, which, uh... Ugh. Yeah, we'll, well, maybe we'll talk a little bit about Next Wave later on. Ugh. Uh, now, whatever the case, she's able to get the soldiers to stand down. They point the new mutants into the direction of the disturbance. And so they head in, and they find the reality warper. Now, Karma attempts to reach out, but is overcome by reality warping feedback, or something like that. It's a pretty cool-looking visual. Uh, Karma is basically wrecked here. There's, like, snakes coming out of her eyes. She's all frayed. It's, it's pretty cool-looking. Chamber steps in to help, but he gets nailed, too. Ditto magma. So this, uh, this reality warper is just wrecking stuff. Mirage makes a frantic call back to the island to speak to Doug to let him know what's going down. And she lets him know that they're, you know, they're being overwhelmed here, and they're in dire need of assistance. Back on Krakoa, Doug's like, hey, I'm on it. And so we follow him, Armor, and Mondo to, I don't know, uh, I didn't realize that Krakoa had an other side of the tracks, but apparently they do, because this side of, uh, this little side of the island is not that pretty. And it's, uh, the Mutant Liberation Front's Ramshackle Digs. 
Uh, they're greeted by Forearm, who's uh, sitting on a very classy outdoor couch. And I don't say that as in, you know, lawn furniture or outside furniture. This is like an actual indoor couch, just, just happens to be outside the home. You know, it's very, very classy. Now, they barge past, and we see some more of the MLFers. We see Samurai, Dragoness, and Strobe. And out of those three, I only really remember Dragoness because I remember her being decapitated one time back in the long ago. And I feel like they spent like a half dozen panels like following her bouncing, decapitated head. Though it was probably just the one panel, and I imagined all the rest. But I remember a particular focus on her head bouncing across some panels. Maybe I'm wrong. Finally, Doug finds who he's looking for, and that is... Wildside, who's in the middle of clipping his disgusting toenails with a pair of scissors. And that's that. That is New Mutants, volume whatever this is, issue number whatever this was. Uh, Next episode, we'll be talking about Excalibur number 9, but... Yeah, let's talk about this. Um, Yeah, this was a... This was an issue of New Mutants, alright. Um... Yeah, to start, to start, uh, it's been a long time since I've read, like, the early Legion appearances in New Mutants, but part of me can't shake the feeling that this feels, at least in the sorta kinda, just like that. I mean, with the reality warping and the, 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 the kids getting overwhelmed, and it feels kinda like when they ran in with Legion. Uh, it's not a bad issue. Uh, it might actually be the strongest Brisson New Mutants issue to this point. Though much of that might have to do with the cast that he's allowed to play with here. It's not just, you know, Glob Herman and uh, Beak. Um, The issue, uh, you know, one thing that we've talked about, one thing that we haven't talked about, rather, with these books is decompression. I feel like, for the most part, the Dawn of X books have sidestepped, outside of Fallen Angels, of course, because that was a joke. But outside of Fallen Angels, decompression really hasn't been something we've really been smacked in the face with. This feels kind of decompressed. And, uh, I mean, that's not a New Mutants problem. That's not an X-Men problem. That's just a current year comics thing. Uh, we do get a few story spurs here, which will hopefully play out before long. Um, you know, first things first, we have a new reality warper. Uh, she's a mutant, and maybe maybe we'll have a new team member before long. Now, considering what like the next couple of covers of this book look like... I'm guessing we're going to be sticking with this as our main focus for the next little while, and that's fine. That's fine. I'm, you know, I'm. After the weirdness of the first two arcs of this volume, I'm totally cool with us just staying the course and finishing a story. So, <laughs> thumbs up to that. Hopefully, next issue it's not going to be like Surge and uh, and Wallflower. Uh, I don't know, going to a ballet recital or something. Hopefully it's just more of this. Let's get this done. Uh, second, we get Doug Ramsey doing something with Krakoa. Uh, he's attempting to interface, but we don't yet know why. I guess I'm interested in seeing where this goes. You know, why not, right? Give Doug something to do. It's funny. Every time Doug comes up in conversation, people are like, oh, he's so underused. He's so underrated. It's like... We've seen so much of Doug in here. Like, get out of here with the underrated stuff and the underused stuff. He's he's like everywhere, uh, and here he is again. Uh, also, we get that weird standoffish t- scene between Cyclops and Magic. This one didn't really sit too well with me. Um, as I mentioned during the synopsis, Cyclops is kind of playing that boss that you can never that you can never impress. The one where, like, no matter how successful an endeavor or a project goes. They'll always tell you it could have been done better. It could have been done more uh, quicker. It could have been done at a lower cost. It's always some sort of BS. And I suppose there are worse ways to depict Cyclops. And indeed, they have depicted him far worse, even, even during Dawn of X, in my opinion. Magic outright dismissing him? I don't know how I feel about that. I don't even know what Magic's character is supposed to be right now. Like... I, I feel like, and maybe this is intentional, she feels like she doesn't like have a heart, you know? It's just, I don't know. I, I'm, not, I, I'm not really digging a, a, lot of, a lot of Magic's interpersonals here. I do wonder if this is the start of a schism between the Krakoan captains. And I suppose that might be an interesting tack to take, but in the grand scheme of things, it feels like it's a little too soon. 
I mean, despite the fact that we've been reading these books for like a really long time at this point, I mean, this is the 67th issue that we're reading here. At this point in the comic, the New Mutants have only really had one mission. And if the relationship is going to fray over the, the direction of a single mission, I don't know, how strong was it to begin with? You know, um, I guess it's difficult to reconcile real-world time with in-story time. And uh, perhaps we're supposed to think that a lot of stuff has happened outside of just magic going to Shi'ar space with the rest of them and uh, then the little Pilgrim Nebraska side. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'm thinking too hard. Or maybe I'm not thinking hard enough. Um, boom, boom. I, I feel like she was added to this crew to act as comic relief, which... I don't think worked quite as well as it could have. Again, this is Next Wave Tabitha, not X-Force Tabitha. And uh, I'll actually admit that I found Next Wave to be wildly overrated. That's another one of those things that is constantly being touted as being underrated, though it's hard to find a single person who says anything bad about it. I wasn't too much of a fan of it. I think it was... Uh, eh, I, I'll, I'll leave that where it's at. I just didn't... I didn't dig it. Um, boom Boom suddenly and awkwardly being fluent in Russian. Was that supposed to be funny? It wasn't. Um, boom Boom claiming to have learned Russian from an old fence or friend. Was that funny? No, not really. It was also a little tryhard. I will say the art was great. Uh, I really like Flaviano's take on the characters, and even the new reality warper here, even though we don't get a good look at her outside of the missing poster. Uh, though, you know, I, I would have to say, and it's not anybody's fault, but with each, each page I couldn't help but wonder how Rod Reese would have rendered it. Because, I mean, we've seen him do some Sienkiewiczian stuff, right? Uh, and now we have a reality warper, and... Sienkiewicz was pretty instrumental on Legion, you know, which really which really gave him the opportunity to flex some creative muscle there and just play. So if we were able to have a Reese on this book right here where we are dealing with reality going crazy, like just look at the, the page where Karma has like snakes coming out of her eyes and she's overcome by this weirdness. I mean, I would have loved to see seen how uh, Rod Reese would have uh, drawn that page because it's it seems to be written for his strengths, and uh, it's a shame that it it wasn't him. But Flaviano wasn't bad at all. He definitely uh, pulled his weight. Overall, uh, it's just another book that I don't have a whole heck of a lot to say. It's just another issue. Um, didn't love it. Didn't hate it. It does certainly feel like a step back in quality and urgency. And in my opinion, as it pains me to say it, but uh, I don't feel like New Mutants is must-reading anymore. Um, I feel like this is just another book. Take it, leave it. It's not vital. Um, and I, I, again, I haven't looked at things like um, sales charts outside of a very few times that we did it here on the show. So I'm interested to see, you know, what the... Uh, to compare and contrast the Hickman books and the Brisson books. Because I have a feeling that it's probably not a staggering difference, but I'm sure there is some slight difference uh, between the two, because uh, this really just doesn't have the same excitement, unfortunately. Though, despite the fact that I don't consider this to be must-reading for the greater comics uh, enthusiast out there, we will, of course, continue reading it. But, again, I wouldn't blame folks if they stopped plunking down their, you know, foreign change on the counter to, to get this book at this point. But we'll still be here time after time to follow these exploits and to find out whatever we can about our new reality warper and, uh, and our amalgamated young mutants of Krakoa, LLC. But that's all I really got to say about New Mutants number 9. Uh, before we go, let's dip into the mailbag here. we got some real good stuff to discuss. We're going to start with a letter from Damien, where he's talking about X-Force number 8. He says, Some fascinating stuff in this issue of X-Force. I think I've mentioned before that I slowly dropped all the X-Books apart from Marauders, so I'm reading most of these comics for the first time on Marvel Unlimited as I follow you. 
A lot of what you said about this issue is addressed more directly in the next issue of X-Men. That's X-Men number 7. In fact, I think this story would work better after reading X-Men number 7, as you can see that Krakoa allows people to choose to die. And that is 100% true. X-Men number 7 goes really deep into the subject of a mutant's right to die. Um, And I already have uh, Damien's letter regarding that issue, so we will put a pin in that for now, and we'll we'll cover that more um, when uh, when I discuss, when I cover Damien's feedback, uh, probably next episode, to uh, discuss that uh, even more. Uh, Damien continues... The, things I, the thing I found interesting was Colossus's belief that he would come back without his traumatic memories. This doesn't sit with the idea that Professor X is constantly updating the backups. If you're on Krakoa, I can see no reason for you to be resurrected from an old backup. Surely, Colossus and Domino would come back exactly as they, just, as they were with their physical injuries healed. Maybe there's a suggestion that the memory of a traumatic event relies on physical memory as well as emotional recall. Maybe a new body distances the trauma. I don't know. And I too don't know. I'm really not sure what Colossus is expecting at a resurrection. But it's clear that he sees it as something of a relief from the trauma. And I mean, this might be thinking way too hard, but maybe, perhaps, this is a commentary about suicide as a concept. Which, I mean, that's a discussion far above my pay grade. But suffice it to say, some may view it as an ending to pain. Maybe that's where Colossus is coming from? Maybe he feels like he deserves to die. Maybe the trauma of dying would backburner the current torment, right? I mean, he's got a lot of stuff on his mind right now, but maybe actually going through death would trump that. You know, maybe push that to, I don't want to say, put it into perspective, because, I mean, we're dealing with some weird, weird stuff here, but, I don't know. And, and, you know, I mean, we're still not 100% sure what he went through in Russia. We just know it was awful. We don't know if if he engaged in some unsavory things. I mean... We're seeing him featured in the X-Force book, where Beast is telling people, telling heroes not to leave survivors, not to leave witnesses, you know? It's it's a different world, it's a different book, so who's who knows what Colossus had to do in order to save those uh, refugees? I mean, he might have he might have slaughtered families, he might have done some really, really heavy stuff that we just don't know. Uh, Damien continues... It does seem like Colossus believes that Xavier edits the resurrected in some way, but we have seen plenty of people carrying trauma from before resurrection. For example, Vulcan was shown remembering his death. Maybe he believed that when they discover a suicide that they would choose to correct the mental health issues underlying the act. That's an awesome theory. Um, Because, I mean, if we look at it, Xavier bringing back a mutant who took his own life that seems like something that might lead to a recurrence, right? A self-fulfilling prophecy. Because, I mean, if Colossus comes back and he still has that torment, he still has the uh, the tortured, you know, soul, who's to say he wouldn't just keep killing himself? And would Xavier keep bringing him back exactly the same way? It's like that whole, you know, the definition of exa- of insanity, right? It's why would we assume that he wouldn't be unhappy this time? So... That's an awesome theory that Xavier might be like, okay, well, he killed himself, so how can I make it so he wouldn't do that again? You know, unless you have the the living will, like Domino, where she says, I want to live through this trauma. I want this trauma to remain with me every time I'm brought back. It's heavy. It's a heavy, uh, heavy topic. Uh, Damien continues, uh, As you say, this issue sits uncomfortably with our theory that Charles is changing the resurrected. Then again, all our information comes from someone suffering from severe PTSD, so he may be misinterpreting how the resurrection protocols work. And yeah, that's very, very true. Uh, Part of me just wonders if Colossus is just looking at this as a last-ditch effort, like his only way out, you know? Um, That's something that I think... Yeah, I made the joke about a DNR, you know? Uh, Not a do-not-resuscitate, but a do-not-resurrect. I wonder if the mutants have any say in that. Because to bring a mutant back who doesn't want to come back, I mean, that's like that's like torture, right? I mean, it's like, well, you're not going to die. You're not getting that release because 
Xavier said so. If you, you want to rest in peace, you, you just don't get that option here. I, I gotta wonder if there is like a DNR, uh, a Krakoan DNR, where if you just want to release from pain, from torment, from your own thoughts, it's, it's weird. And it really speaks to how wibbly-wobbly the, the right to die is here. Um, a very, very heavy stuff that I wish I had prepared more notes for, because... I hadn't thought about it until right this second. Maybe we'll talk more about that in uh, in future episodes, but that's pretty interesting to uh, to consider, right? I mean, maybe it's just me, but uh, I'll put a pin in that and maybe revisit it down the line here. If anybody else has thoughts about a Krakoan DNR, please, please share them with me. Uh, Damien continues, It says a lot about Domino that she actively chooses to work through her trauma. She knows that she can get through it and move on. It's also revelatory that Peter was so easy to convince not to give up. Suicidal ideation is often genuinely a cry for help rather than an actual desire to die. I'm not sure murdering a lot of mercenaries is the healthiest way to recover from trauma, but it seems to work. Um, You know, I've talked a bit about my academic career and my academic life here, and um, over the course of the past... Ten or so years, I have worked a little bit on a volunteer basis in behavioral health units, and uh, I've worked with a lot of folks, um, patients, uh, you know, not not in any sort of an advisory level, just as an observer. And uh, I've been flat out told that their what they did was nothing more than a cry for help. Um, you know, it's. Again, this is stuff that I really don't have a whole lot of uh, credibility in or legitimacy in speaking about. But, uh, you know, a lot of these folks were, you know, I I hate saying repeat offenders. But, I mean, for lack of a better term, that's kind of what they are. And uh, they might have just been telling me what they thought they were supposed to tell me, just as an observer. Um... And also in that time, I spoke with a lot of um, professionals, seasoned you know, behavioral techs, psychologists, nurses, uh, psychiatrists. And um, not to make a generalization, but uh, a lot of them told me that uh, most, or many, maybe many is more proper to say, of those with strong ideations, uh, actually, you know, they succeed in their attempt. You know, to uh, further, and again, I don't want to make a generalization here since this is, I feel like this is a very personal topic to a lot of people and a very, very heavy one at that, but uh, the cry for help versus the legitimate, as Damien put it, desire to die, it's, there is intersectionality between the two, but there there is also a lot separating the two there is a difference um at least in in my anecdotal experience uh, as an observer and a uh and a you know uh, uneducated half of a discussion um but uh yeah we'll, we'll we'll leave that there and continue with uh with comic book talk uh damien continues what this issue really made me wonder is if we've ever seen telepathy used as an active treatment for ptsd we've seen multiple stories where trauma is erased Maxime and Manon removed Beak's memories in the recent New Mutants, for example. But I can't think of a single voluntary eraser of mem- erasure of memories in order to get over trauma. It feels like there's a possible story there. And that is an amazing point. And as I read that sentence or that paragraph there, I thought to myself, there must have been an instance of voluntary memory erasure. But I can't actually think of a one. <laughs> you know, it seems like... There's a lot of lot of very interesting ways that sort of a uh, story could go, uh, or just as a concept. Um, there, it feels like there's a lot of meat there, and I'm I'm shocked that I can't cite a single story. Maybe I'm not thinking hard enough, but I can't think of one, and it seems so obvious, doesn't it? I mean, we've seen Professor X, especially like go back to the Silver Age. Everybody the X-Men met got their minds wiped. It seemed like every issue, the last page is like, okay, well, I mind wiped everybody so they don't know we're here. But we've never seen like a voluntary, here, take my thoughts away. I did something bad, take my thoughts away. 
And it really speaks to Colossus's struggle here in that he sees death as his only outlet or his only exit, rather than just going to Xavier and saying, "Hey, you mind rewinding me? You know, you mind maybe blocking some thoughts out of my mind?" Or go to Maxime and Manon. You know, we know that they'll do it. It's uh, it's interesting. That's interesting, and I wonder, yeah, I wonder if we'll see something like that going forward here. Um, you know, uh, the, the Dawn of X uh, brain trust, for a lack of a better term, and to steal something that they had in the Spider-Man family of books back in the day, they seem to be um, very forward-thinking and uh, th- are doing a lot of stuff outside the box. So I, I do wonder if we'll see something like that. That, that could be very, very cool. Uh, Damien continues. I'm looking forward to hearing you develop your thoughts about the theological implications of Krakoa when you get to the next episode. I'm going to save my response for then, and uh, we will indeed talk about that probably next episode. So I'm, I'm looking forward to, uh, to parsing that and, uh, and going through. Uh, Damien wraps up with, Thanks again for keeping us entertained on a daily basis. It must be so much work, but it's greatly appreciated. And uh, to which I say thank you for uh, keeping me company on a daily basis, because uh, it's a lot of work and it's also lonely. So it's nice to know that there are folks out there who are uh, who are enjoying and who are uh, on this trip with me and with us. It's it's really cool feeling like we're in this this little uh, book club community, just uh, all all propping each other up and, and sharing our thoughts and uh, just enjoying the ride. So thank you so much, Damien. It's always always a pleasure. Next. We have a piece from uh, Mark, our friend uh, Green Lantern HG, and he's discussing Cable number one. He says, Chris, fantastic last two episodes. I'm liking the idea of an arena where mutants can fight each other without killing. It just makes my head spin with all the possible matches. But Jubilee losing a Dazzler? Come on, she was trained by Wolverine. I demand a rematch. To which I say, yes, I agree 100%. Dazzler shouldn't have beaten Jubilee. But, uh... Jubilee's a Gen X kid, and it seems like the Gen X kids are really getting a, uh, I don't know, they're getting the stink eye in the Dawn of X uh, books here. They're, they're looked at as slobs, as slackers, as losers. It's, yeah, I think I think we need a revolt. Uh, people of my vintage, we need to, uh, we need the Generation X to get their own, their own book, or at least their own arc, so they can uh, maybe show that they're, show that they are up to up to speed with everybody else, but uh, thank you so much for your uh, kind words there, Mark. I really really appreciate it. Uh, we're gonna wrap up with a very interesting email here from our friend Andrew at Mighty Evil Doom on Twitter. Now, back when we were discussing, I think I asked a few times, but most recently during X Men number seven, where we talked about the Crucible and uh, talked about how uh, dicey and divisive. And just how heady the concept was, and how much how much it made you think, right? How much that issue in and of itself was just a real thinker, in that it kind of it kind of transcended what you'd figure from just a regular just comic book story. It, was, it had a lot of themes in there, had a lot of uh, a lot of meat on the bone, you know, so to speak. And I uh, put out a call for anyone who isn't enjoying. The Dawn of X direction, the Hox Pox Doc Socks direction. And uh, because overwhelmingly, we've only been talking about the positive. I mean, of course, there have been things we haven't liked. Um, in all the correspondence that we've covered here in the mailbag, there have been things we haven't liked. And I mean, not just talking about Fallen Angels, there's been stuff in just about every title. That will call into question and just be like, yeah, they could have done this better. Oh, I don't like this direction. But I haven't had any messages from someone who just flat out has not appreciated the direction that this is going. And I, I want that. I definitely want that because I feel like I feel like all opinions are valid. And uh, I went into this entire project with a certain certain preconception, not only about the concept, not only about the characters, not only about the creators involved, but just the entire endeavor. You know, uh, it's funny, I'm reading for another program on this channel, that it's called Major X Lapsed, where I'm going through the six-issue, or seven with the zero-issue miniseries of Major X. And as I'm moving further through that, I'm starting to see house ads for House of X. And Marvel is huge 
huge on House of X and these things. They're calling it the next seminal event in X-Men history, like putting it up there with with X-Men number one and with Giant Size and with uh, Age of Apocalypse and with X-Men volume two number one with uh, Lee and Claremont, putting it up there with uh, the Morrison run. This is supposed to be the next big thing. There, there are house ads with the uh, the Mora and Charles page from, I want to say, probably House of X number two, where we start learning about Mora's past. And on top of on top of that page, it says this is the most important page in X Men history. Yeah, so Marvel was touting this as something larger than anything that's come in a very very long time. And so I, I'm very interested to hear from people who weren't on aren't on board, don't like this direction, because indeed it is a very very different direction. Am I enjoying it? I'm enjoying it. Yes. Is it my favorite take on the X Men? Hell no, no. This, to me, this is this is a good story. This is um, it's a it's a great story. There's a lot of good stuff here. But it's not. It's not like my my Desert Island X Men book, you know. Um, I'm not even sure what my Desert Island X Men book would be, but I know this isn't it. <laughs> you know, this is not. This isn't the X Men I grew up with, and I want to hear from people who feel the same way and uh, who may just not dig this, because I, I believe there's value in that. I I, I want to see this. Through as many prisms as possible Because I think When we go into something liking it We may ignore some things that are blatantly Things we don't like And conversely, if we go into something with a negative attitude Like I almost did You may dismiss things that you Should or you would Normally like because it's just not Delivered in the package you want it in So I, I'm Really, really excited to cover this message here I know I'm taking the scenic route to get here, but let's let I'll, I'll shut up for a second with my own thoughts and uh, start reading Andrews. He says, "I'm starting this letter after listening to the episode on X Men number seven on my morning commute. I have five more episodes to listen to today, so it's going to be a good day." Which, having my voice in your head for that long, that's oof, thank you, <laughs> thank you so much. <laughs> Andrew continues, "I haven't written into the show before because, and I suspect I'm in the minority here." I haven't read any Dawn of X books, and I'm not reading along with the show, so I feel like any thoughts or opinions I have on the books aren't really worth that much. However, after X-Men number 7 and your call to hear from those with a less positive viewpoint, I guess I ran out of excuses not to write in. And first, I mean, we're, I'm trying to deliver these books as, as best I can to uh, convey the story. Of course, it's coming through my prism, but... I'm trying to at least deliver the synopsis in as uh, unbiased or unleading, unbaiting sort of way, as, as even-keeled. So, I mean, your your opinions are just as valid as the rest of us here. So I definitely don't hold back. Don't hold back. Uh, Andrew continues. Now, I stopped reading X-Men after Morrison, but would occasionally flip through a new trade at the library or a new issue at the comic shop just to see what was up. Nothing I saw ever appealed to me, but I still wanted to keep abreast of what was happening and how Marvel was screwing up the X-Men this time. When Hoxpox dropped, I was it was so hyped up that I wanted to read it. And all I can say about Hickman is that I wish he'd write a sci-fi novel because I'd love to read it. I can't say Hoxpox was bad, only as an X-Fan as a only that as an X-Fan as a potential new customer, it left me cold. It was full of interesting ideas, but it took the X-Men in too different of a direction. It was too far removed from anything that made me like the X-Men. Ditching superheroics for boring parliamentary meetings? Magic islands? Immortality? It simply wasn't for me. Very well said. It is very different. It is very, very different. Um, I've talked to a lot of folks who left when Morrison did. Um, I... I didn't leave after Morrison did, but I did stop reading for probably three or four months after Morrison left. And I, I you know, I'm still buying because I always buy. But uh, I did take a little bit of a break because the post-Morrison issues were just, they weren't great. <laughs> they were really not very good at all. Um, but I did, of course, catch up. But 
from the Morrison run till now, like, it's... During Hawksbox days, they mentioned the Lost Decade, which probably doesn't start right after Morrison left. I would put it at around probably AVX, Avengers vs. X-Men, is where I would put the Lost Decade beginning. Um, I recently had someone ask me uh, where to start, because they had... They had left the X-Men books uh, right after Morrison left and wanted to catch up but didn't want to read a bunch of stuff that, you know, wouldn't matter or just wouldn't uh, wouldn't fit the flow. And the part, the place where I put them, you know, the, where I told them where they should start was Schism, you know. And Schism might actually be where a lot of people would put the lost decade beginning. But uh, it's interesting hearing you say that uh, you'd flip through and see how they're screwing up the X-Men this time around Because I feel like I feel like you're not alone in that I feel like a lot of folks, you'd get the hype for every once in a while Where, you know, AVX, Schism, uh, uh, you know, all new X-Men, stuff like that And uh, and then you'd flip through it and be like, nope, not for me <laughs> But with Hoxpox here, um... If I read books without pictures in it, I guess a Hickman novel would be good, but I, I don't do that, so you know I really don't have much of an opinion on that. But uh, your points here are very well taken. Here, we do ditch superheroics for meetings. Uh, we have the Quiet Council, Krakoa, the Magic Island, Immortality, Rebirths, Resurrection Protocols. It is very different. It's very different, and I can see it. I could definitely see it leaving someone cold because. As we've said, and as I've said time and time again, that the stakes are different now. You know, we've sh- we've shifted the stakes. The characters are, and I think I mentioned this recently. I feel like the concepts are the star here, and the characters are background. Um, where the X Men, when the X Men are at their best, they're soap opera, right? I mean, that's basically the whole Claremont run is is superhero soap opera. And it kind of informed the direction of the industry for a while. You know, after Claremont started on on Uncanny, then we got Wolfman and Perez on Teen Titans. You know, we got The Outsiders uh, over at DC, which was also very, very soapy. A lot of the best books out there were integrating these soap operatic elements here and focusing on the interpersonals between the characters, giving us reasons to care about them, giving us reasons to love them. Where concepts were there, and sometimes concepts were very heady, but they weren't at the forefront the way they are here with Hoxpox. Um, this is this is all about the the, the the high concept stuff, where you know it could have been this could have been an Inhuman story. You know this could have been any insert you know any marginalized group here any marginalized super group here uh, should i say it's uh it's so much about the concept that the characterization is kind of it's kind of left flailing in the wind and the fact that the characters that we know most the ones that we're most familiar with the ones that we're most likely to have a emotional connection to were killed during Hoxpox and brought back in eggs, you know, and I mean, I, I enjoy, I'm enjoying this, so I don't want to make it sound like I'm, uh, dismissing these things, I'm just saying that I, I totally understand your point of view, I definitely see where you're coming from here, and your, your opinions are just as valid as anyone else's, Andrew continues, I also couldn't shake the feeling that Marvel failed to get the Inhumans over to replace the X-Men, so they just made the X-Men into the Inhumans. All for movie introduction reasons, but I'm a cynic. You know, uh, hey, where there's smoke, there's fire, right? Um, This lost decade has been nothing but putting the Inhumans over the X-Men. And it's been... It's been really, really rough. You know, I got to the point where... I couldn't read anything with the Inhumans in it because I got so irrationally angry because I knew what... And again, I don't have any insider knowledge. I'm not in a room with Tom Brevoort and Steve Wacker, you know, if, if Wacker's even still a thing. I'm not in a room with those guys, so I don't know what their plans are here, but, it really, you know, when they smoke, this fire, right? Uh, the Inhumans were really being pushed. 
they were. I mean, at some at one point, I think they had three or four ongoing series, and the Inhumans can't carry a single series. But all of a sudden, we had four, <laughs> and and you know the Terrigan mists were everywhere, and it was making the the mutants sick, and we were gonna have the mutants die out and be replaced by the Inhumans, so they can put them on agents as shield or some crap. Yeah. <laughs> It's interesting. Uh, Andrew continues. That said, I really enjoy the show in spite of not liking this brave new world approach to the X-Men. I like hearing what you liked and why, even if I don't feel the same. What didn't land for you and the deeper discussions about what's on the page and how the piece works as an actual 22-page $5 book. Which is to say, I enjoyed the show for the same reasons I enjoy all of your shows. Well, thank you so much. That really, I mean, I, I say it a lot, but it means a lot to me. It really, really does. Uh, Andrew continues Even though I listen to every episode I refrain from sharing my thoughts on the issues Because I don't want to be sending a constant stream of negativity I'm probably in the minority again for this But I don't really enjoy the stories They're not all bad Marauder sounds like the best And I thought the farm story in New Mutants wasn't so bad But most of the time my opinion on the story Ranges from neutral to dislike Especially for the stories in the X-Men series I just listened to the episode on issue number 7, and as much as I did like the philosophical questions being talked about, the whole fight apocalypse to the death ritual was, in my opinion, ridiculous. The fact this is just part of their new lives now, and everyone basically accepts it, is really too much for me. Sure, Wolverine wasn't happy about it, and Scott had a lot of questions, but no one dissented too hard. It's just part of their society now, and I just can't relate to the versions of these characters in these books. Also, there's too much apocalypse in these stories. I love it. That's excellent. Uh, because ep- issue 7 of X-Men, while um, it gave us a lot to talk about, right? It did. It gave us so much to consider. And it really, for, um, it really put a hard line between what was and what is. Um, which is to say, I mean, the things you just pointed out here. Um, people are just cool with this. This is a spectator sport. And I think I compared it to like a born-again baptism where uh, you'd, have, you'd have witnesses. And, but this isn't that, right? This is different. This is a rebirth. Or it's a, it's a facilitatory measure toward a rebirth. But... Fact remains that someone's being killed in front of their friends and family. And I mentioned Sam. You know, Cannonball was there and watching his sister die. Watching his sister get run through or cut in half or whatever the hell Apocalypse did to her. It was, uh... It's off-putting. It's weird. It's just, uh... It sticks with you. Um, And it makes you think. And I mentioned that Cannonball, he doesn't even live on Krakoa. And he isn't even totally clear. He's not 100% clear on Krakoan way of life. So to have him sitting there and watching this without... I mean, he does get up for a second, but he sits back down. And it's uh, its strange. It's very, very strange. And if we go with theory A for Hox, Pox, Doc, Socks, is Krakoa doing this? Is Krakoa, is Krakoa influencing their behavior? Is, is Krakoa grooming their behavior is Xavier complicit in that. Is this some sort of a like master plan by someone to to make a society into what they think it is? Because I don't. I mean, the X Men they're they're not submissive people. So for them to just accept this, and maybe Wolverine's uh, not being here was on purpose, you know, because. Maybe they didn't want to damage Wolverine by having him actually sit here and watch. There's a lot to a lot to consider there. But that scene in particular, the Crucible scene, I'd love to hear more opinions on that because I think I said it probably a dozen a dozen or so times during that episode that I don't know what I don't know what my feelings are on it. You know, I like it for the food for thought it gives, but at the same time. It might be, you know, I talked, I've talked a lot, and I apologize for repeating myself, it's just something I do. I've talked a lot about breaking the toys lately, and uh, Crucible feels like it might be a step just too far. How do you, how do you walk that back, right? 
I mean, Cyclops and Professor X just watched someone die, someone get killed. That's how little value life has. That's how replaceable these characters are. It's weird, and I can definitely see that not sitting well with people. I'm not sure it sits well with me. You know, it's there's a lot a lot of meat on that bone, and I wish we'd get more issues like that because I mean we're not getting all the answers we want, but we're getting we're getting a lot of questions. And I feel like when we are asking a lot of questions about this, uh, it it makes the story it makes the story like a multitasker in a way, right? It's not just the story we're reading; it's actually something we're experiencing and muddling through and trying to uh, trying to figure out our thoughts on it. So maybe we'll get more scenes like that. Maybe we won't. I guess we'll we'll have to wait and see. Uh, Andrew re- uh, wraps up with. Uh, But even feeling that way, I get my enjoyment from your discussions of the story and from the other listeners who write in, who are much more articulate and thoughtful than I am. So, until the essential fixes the time stream so that Chris Claremont never gets pushed off the book, make mine Michael McDonald. Seriously, that song gets stuck in my head. And uh, yes, mission accomplished. Michael McDonald is a... uh, He is one of the greatest singers. (laughs) He's definitely uh, an earworm in and of himself here, just a... Amazingly talented, and uh, I'm glad I get to share that every uh, every day with uh, with this program. <laughs> a little bit of sweet freedom uh, goes a long way. But uh, please, Andrew, don't be a stranger. Um, I very much appreciated this uh, this letter, and I want to. I would love to hear more. I want even even if it is negative, uh, because I want to cover the negative here as well as the positive. Because, like I said, all of our opinions are valid here, and we might, I, I, don't, I don't want to say that we're going to change each other's minds, but we might, I think we're all, I think we're all comfortable enough in our opinions on this where we can appreciate another point of view. And for someone like me who can't make up his damn mind, as many opinions as I can get, the better. <laughs> so, please don't be a stranger. Please feel free and more than welcome to write in. I really, really appreciate hearing from you. Thank you so much. And if anyone else out there would like to write in and tell me the good, the bad, the ugly, unless you're talking about me, of course. We're talking about the books here, not me. If you'd like to fill me in on your thoughts, please feel free to do so. You can reach me a couple different ways. You can find me at Ace Comics on Twitter or at WeirdComicsHistory at gmail.com. You can find show notes and blog posts at Chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. There's also xlapsed.chris'sOnInfiniteEarths.com. You can chat us up about... Anything you want to with the X-Men at uh, 90s X-Men on Facebook. And you can also check out the full Chris and Reggie audio archives at chrisandreggie.podbean.com. But I think that's where we'll put a pin in it for today. I, uh, it's been a while since I said what the next episode is. I think it's Excalibur. I think it is. I might have to, I'm going to have to check my notes again. It's, <laughs> it's been a longer episode than I anticipated. But uh, till then, uh, thank you all so, so much for sharing your time with me. And as always, I will talk to you again real soon. See ya!